Hi, and welcome to an episode of our Pulse In brought to you by the Students of Color Collective in partnership with CFUV. SOC is an advocacy group committed to anti-racism, social justice, and BIPOC mental health. We provide community support and resources for racialized students. This year, our Pulse In is an audio project with themes such as love, unity, and social justice. These episodes were produced on the traditional territories of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples and the Spanish peoples. I was wondering if you could please introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Carissa Chandrakate. I go by the pronouns she and her. Um, I am an Indo-Caribbean first-generation immigrant. I was born on the island of Trinidad and Tobago, which is in the Caribbean. I feel like I always need to say that because people don't know where uh, Trinidad is. Um, I moved to Canada when I was 10 years old, and I'm currently, I've been residing in Toronto ever since, and I currently reside on Lekwungen territory, otherwise known as Victoria, BC, and I've been here for two years now. So can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? Do you work or study full or part-time? Or... Yeah, totally. Um, so I am a photographer, videographer, and illustrator. Um, I have a undergraduate degree in environmental sciences and a postgrad in environmental visual communications. Um, and currently I have several ongoing contracts doing jobs related to content creation and media production um, surrounded um, which works with like environmental and social justice movements. And so basically I freelance. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun. I, I don't think I could do a nine to five job. Yeah, for sure. I definitely understand that. <laughs> um, so how do you identify yourself uh, in terms of art? Do you see yourself as a professional artist, as a hobbyist? Uh, I wouldn't call myself a professional because I feel like it, takes away from the joy and therapy that I get from it. Um, Illustration in particular was something that I picked up during COVID. Um, I only started illustrating last June, so I've only been doing this for approximately eight months now. And prior to that, my main artistic outlets were through photography and video. Um, I'm a documentary photographer and videographer. However, I realized that there were stories that I wanted to tell that I couldn't really access through photography and video. And that's why I started to illustrate. Um, A lot of my illustrations really are centered around my own culture and my own um, process of decolonization, which is something that is really important to me. Um, And yeah, as I mentioned, I have a degree in environmental sciences and a postgrad in environmental comms, and which focuses on graphic design, video photography, to create change and my strengths were always in photo and video and not graphic design in fact my classmates could probably tell you how much I hated it (laughs) uh it's weird how you say you you, uh I guess you haven't been doing the graphic design part for so long because when I saw your artwork I was like wow this is really good and you haven't been for very long so I'm like whoa Yeah, no, I mean, I hated design in school. I pretty much didn't learn as much as like I would like to learn because I hated it so much, unfortunately. But yeah, because of COVID, I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, practice a little bit. And there were stories that I wanted to tell from my own culture that I couldn't access through photography and video. So 
that's why I started to illustrate because I wanted to you know, tell those stories and share those stories and my point of views. Um, and yeah, I couldn't access that through through photography, so I started to illustrate. Yeah, for sure. Um, can you tell me how long you've been practicing as an artist? Like how you developed your skills in photography, videography, and in graphic design? Yeah, totally. So graphic design, I've only been doing it for, um, like I know basic graphic design to make like graphics and whatever for social media. But in terms of illustration, I've only been doing that for eight months. But photography and photography I've been doing um, for about six, seven years now. Video was something I recently took up about two years ago as well, just because I found it to be such an emotional and tangible way to tell stories. Um, in a way that you can't really get through photography. So, yeah, that's pretty much how long I've been doing it. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your artistic accomplishments up to this point? Like, uh, have you ever won an art contest before? Uh, do you have an art website? Uh, have you sold artwork? Totally. I haven't sold my artwork. I've never sold any of my photography and video Um my or my illustrations but I recently won an art contest with Stand Earth they were looking for um, visual art for their Safe Cities campaign that they're starting up which is a new campaign um, to urge cities to divest from fossil fuels and I saw it and I entered and I ended up getting first place so I won 1300 1300 Canadian which was really surprising for me which and it was super helpful because right now I'm working on a documentary um, with indigenous communities I do a lot of work with indigenous communities so um, I just started filming a documentary about indigenous resistance to um, industry and so that money really helps to fund it <laughs> so I was really really grateful for that but I do have a website it's just my first and last name.com needs updating <laughs> um <laughs> I hate web design so I kind of just like avoid it at all cost but I do have a website and yeah I mean I was never expecting to win an art contest I wasn't even expecting to you know be on a podcast I just I just kind of apply for opportunities whenever I see it and whatever comes my way then I'm grateful for it yeah for sure um was there a defining moment in your life that made you want to pursue art? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a visual artist and I knew I wanted to be telling stories and amplifying underrepresented voices. That's what I studied um, to do in my postgrad. I've been a photographer for, for many years now, um, videographer for a few years and illustrator very recently. Um, and art has always been, especially digital art, has always been a form of therapy for me. And I create when I have downtime in my busy schedule. Um, and even with photography, I find the best photos I take are the ones where I'm being creative and artistic by myself without the pressure of trying to get the best photo for clients. Um, yeah, and I think when art begins to get commodified and you place monetary value on it, it loses a lot of its soul and therapeutic purposes. and at that point, you're just creating for money and not for a spiritual gain. So it's important to have that balance as an artist. And so, yeah, to answer that question, I guess there wasn't really a defining moment. I think art just encompassed my life in general. And it's always been a source of therapy for me. Oh, okay. 
Uh, so uh, next question I had was, uh, who are your favorite artists? Like, who are the artists that inspire you and your work? Um, well, my favorite photographer is Danielle De Silva. She is the CEO of C- uh, Photographers Without Borders. I mean, I've been following her work for pretty much when Photographers Without Borders just started about 10 years ago. And I, she's a person of color and just so inspirational and just so beautiful in so many ways. And her photography is amazing. So she's always been an inspiration to me. Um, and she does social justice photography and video and documentary. And in terms of illustration, I mean, <laughs> that I'm still working on. I There's one artist on YouTube called Chi World that I really like. And I really, I just love grassroots art, grassroots digital art, you know, like I'm I'm always repping the underdog, so <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a black illustrator, and his style is just so amazing, and it's something that I've tried to mimic in the way I do art. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next question I have is: uh, Do you listen to music while creating, and if so, who do you listen to? Uh, it's sometimes. I mean, it really depends. Like sometimes I feel like listening to music and sometimes I just like to listen to Netflix in the background while I make art. Yeah. (laughs) It really, I don't know. I feel like I'm probably the only person, the only artist that maybe does that. It's kind of weird, but, uh, it really depends on what I'm feeling to be honest. Like sometimes I just like to sit in quiet and just listen to the rain because it rains a lot here. Yeah, for sure. No, I don't, I don't think that's weird. I definitely... Sometimes I definitely listen to like ambient music while I'm working or I have the TV on in the background. So it's definitely not weird. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Uh, I was wondering if you could please describe the artwork that you submitted to Pulse. Sure. So I created this piece based on the Ramayana, which is a story in Indian quote unquote mythology and spirituality. Um, specific to Hindu culture and Dharma, way of life. Um, I don't say Hinduism because it's not a religion. It's a word that was created by British colonizers who wanted to understand something that's inherently pagan. So I don't say the word Hinduism. It's it's a way of life. Um, it's a culture. I created that piece based on that story of Sita and Ram. Um, And I grew up in a Hindu family, and decolonization means a lot to me in everything I do. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, I do a lot of work in Indigenous communities, and I've learned the importance of understanding your history and your ancestry. It's something that I've somewhat abandoned when moving to Canada because of assimilation, and I completely ignored my Indian roots to the point where I'd be embarrassed of it. but I embrace my Caribbean identity a lot more. And I think it's something to do with growing up in Toronto and the greater Toronto area, because there's a, there's a lot of Caribbean culture there and Caribbean culture is so uplifted and romanticized. So I definitely embraced that side of me more and I ignored my Indian side. Um, So I've been recently exploring my Indian roots um, and identity a lot more and exploring the many stories from our quote unquote mythology some of which is deeply rooted in patriarchy. And I wanted to highlight that because I think it reflects how women are both treated in India and Trinidad and around the world. So that's why I created that piece. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, I I remember when I first heard the story, I thought it was 
well, of course, it's always like it's like the patriarchal lens of when I heard it, right? So I, I, I heard the whole like, oh, you know, he went to go like rescue his wife. Okay, that's so like romantic, heroic. And then I remember, um, I think there was like a picture book I read and it was like a feminist version of the story. Right, right. I think I read that too. Uh, it really opened my eyes to like, oh my God, that was, a, that was what probably actually happened or, you know, that's the part that gets glossed over. Exactly. It kind of made me feel like, oh, they're not really like hashtag couple goals, you know? Like it's <laughs> uh, Totally. It's not. It's totally patriarchy that's infiltrated these stories. And yeah, I, I wanted to bring that to light, essentially. So that's why I created that piece and her and that, in that, you know, expressing that emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was wondering if you could walk me through the steps of creating the piece. Yeah, totally. So I already knew the story of Sita and Ram because it was one of the first stories I learned and read as a child. And it was super cringeworthy. Um, especially if you're a woman and you're a young girl reading that, you're just like, oh, I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for all the young girls. I can only speak for myself, but it was super cringy for me when I read it. Um, and it's also one of the most popular stories in Hindu culture. And I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for saying this because I definitely got a lot of, um, messages on my Instagram from my stories when I posted it, but I kind of knew it was coming. So, I mean, such as the such as the nature of being an artist and an activist, I guess. Um, but it definitely highlights the gross patriarchy that women are expected to live under. You know, Sita is so revered as an ideal wife and woman when she's facing so much abuse from Indian patriarchy. Um, but yeah, anyways, I already knew the story and I remember how disgusted reading it made me feel and I wanted to recreate that pain of what the character is going through, which is really exactly as the story says, um, she was born out of Mother Earth, and in the end, she cries to go back to Earth because she's sick of all the abuse that she's receiving. Um, and it was really interesting because I use reference photos for when I draw. And it was interesting because I was researching reference photos of her, and all the photos of her and paintings of her depict her as a dainty, loving woman just standing with a lotus in her hand. And I couldn't find a photo that expresses her pain and emotion. So I ended up taking a picture of myself in that position as a reference photo, as a reference photo in, or, in order to draw this. And a lot of people were like, oh, she looks just like you. And that's because it is me. <laughs> it is me. Like, I, I literally took a picture of myself because I couldn't find her expressing the emotions that she felt. She was just, you know, like this, this like resilient woman who was just putting up with everything that was coming her way and in the end she cried like she literally cries and she's like take me back like mother earth just take me back so and that part wasn't that part's not depicted in any sort of art about her so yeah for sure it makes me wonder like I think it really depends on who's telling the story and who's drawing these artworks as well because you're saying you couldn't really find reference of her feeling this like this way so I guess that really kind of shows maybe like censorship or like who's who's in charge of telling these stories right totally men yeah (laughs) or if it's women they're like sorry you can't portray this can you portray it like this exactly exactly yeah um what title would you give this artwork if you had to name it i haven't thought of that but definitely something linking to the pain and harm of women 
and how that ties to the harming of the earth because Sita was born from Mother Earth and she was taken back to the earth when she was when she started to cry out from all the abuse that she was facing. So I don't know. I haven't. I really should title my work. To be honest, that's really a good point. But yeah, if I had to think of a name for it, I would. Yeah, something relating to the intersections of that, the pain of women and Mother Earth. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm familiar with the story of Ramayana. I was wondering, because um, the next question I had was, do you think your artwork is telling a story? And I think that's for sure true. Um, is it possible for the listeners here if maybe you could kind of give a summary of the mythology or the story so, so our listeners can get more of an understanding of what we're, what the story is? Yeah, totally. So the story of Sita and Ram, um, Sita is basically, she was found by a king um, as a baby. She was found on the earth and she was born of Mother Earth and she was found by a king and she was raised by the king. Um, and Ram, Rama, won her hand in marriage, so they became husband and wife. Um, but then she was kidnapped by a demon, and she was living with him for many years until she was saved by Hanuman, who's one of Rama's um, soldiers. And when that happened, she, her husband was questioning her virginity. Um, so just a lot of deep patriarchy that she went through. And Rama was like, you have to walk through fire in order to prove that you're chaste. And which she was really hurt by. Um, so she did walk through the fire and she proved that she was chaste. And then after a few years, society kept on, even though she walked through the fire, society kept on questioning her virginity still. And they were like, she's not fit to be a queen because she's not a virgin. Um, and so Rama asked her to walk through the fire again. This time she refused because she was deeply insulted and she was also carrying her two children and Rama exiled her into the forest for 13 years. Um, and then her children grew up and Rama found her and he felt remorseful for what he did to her. But he still asked her to prove her virginity and feeling deeply hurt and insulted. That's when she started crying and she was like, oh, Mother Earth, just take me back to the, just take me back. I don't want to be here anymore and face this abuse. And the earth opened up and swallowed her. So that's pretty much her story. And she is depicted as the ideal wife, daughter and woman in India. And she's very revered for that. And to me, that's just so wrong and disgusting. And there's a deeper meaning to her story that needs to be analyzed given that she is daughter of the earth and she's not just, you know, a woman who's there to be revered. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it kind of like what I touched on before, like, I feel like when I first heard the story, I just heard more of the action and heroic part of it, you know, where it's like, Ram is like, okay, I need to go rescue my wife. And then, you know, marches off. I think, I think there was something with like floating rocks and notion. And then they're like, I'm like trying to remember all like like that kind of stuff was interesting but then when you hear the actual story then it makes you be like oh man like you did all this heroic stuff but you're not necessarily like the best husband like oh totally yeah, yeah. I had a major argument with like my mom because I was like I don't I'm not a huge fan of Ram I don't like what he did and yeah I mean my mom is also very deeply rooted in, in uh, Hindu culture. So she obviously defended him. Feel free to share the story on your platform. Um, I have it written out on my Instagram. So yeah, it's it's also there if, if everyone wants to read it. Yeah, for sure. I think that'll be, I think it's definitely enlightening to see it from 
uh, Sita's perspective. So what does your artwork teach us about the past and future? Yeah, so for me, making art like this is a part of the healing process and my practice of decolonization and to empower myself, because like I said, I abandoned a lot of the Indian side of me um, because of assimilation in Canada. And my ancestors were indentured laborers from India who were kidnapped, stolen and tricked. And some of them did come willingly um, by British colonizers to work on sugar plantations in Trinidad after the black workers were freed from slavery. They needed cheap labor, so they turned to India. Um, And a lot of the women who came to Trinidad suffered abuse, not only from colonial violence, but also from deep Indian patriarchy. Um, They were killed, mutilated, abused, and just horribly treated by Indian men. So I think stories like this show people that patriarchy runs deep in our culture as Indians. My ancestors brought these stories from India to Trinidad and women suffered the same abuse in the Caribbean and India. So moving forward, I'm hoping that my art can shine light on the fact that we need to think critically about these stories because they clearly have a deep meaning. And I think we need to look critically at toxic masculinity in Indian culture and how we revere that narrative in our stories and culture and address intergenerational trauma in a healthy way. Yeah, for sure. Um, So next question I have for you is, how did you feel when you were creating this piece? I, this is one of my favorite pieces, to be honest, and I felt really empowered, um, but also nervous because I knew I'd probably face a bit of backlash from Hindu Indians and I was a little apprehensive to create it. I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't. But like I said earlier, that's the nature of being an artist and an activist. Uh, What emotions do you hope that your piece will lift in others when they look at your artwork? I think for women especially, I want them to feel empowered, which I know I have been getting feedback from women telling me that it has been empowering for them. Um, And yeah, I just want people to be able to think critically and to to look at their own culture, you know, and look at their own stories and see how much of that has been disturbed through colonialism and patriarchy. So the question I have for you is, what are your thoughts on representation in the arts? So my thoughts of representation in the arts, I think it's very white. Um, I don't think there's a lot of BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and POC representation in the arts um, stemming from photography, video, and illustration just because um, there's still that narrative of the starving artist and art doesn't pay very well and a lot of BIPOC can't afford to live on such low wages that art um, provides. So usually white people and people that are well off are the people who can afford to live off of this I guess live off of the money created by art so I don't think there's a lot of BIPOC representation in the arts yeah for sure I agree with you (laughs) what power does art have in your communities um I belong to several communities so it's a pretty big question um but all I can say is that art is something that transcends time and exists in all communities that I belong to my ancestors as did all of our ancestors, I'm sure, used art as a way to tell stories and uphold moral values and for spiritual awakening. And I think it's still used this way to this day by some communities. And these are the values and ideals that I try to uphold in my art as well. I know you sort of touched on this, but if you want to add anything more, um, the question I have is, 
How has art helped you fight societal norms? Yeah, I think my art kind of speaks for itself in that capacity. Um, I talk a lot about patriarchy that's deeply rooted in culture. So I'm definitely fighting social norms by bringing up um, these thought-provoking topics. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add if I asked, uh, what do you feel your piece says about social justice and fighting injustice? I think my art speaks for itself in this capacity, <laughs> as well as the captions that I, that I post it with. Yeah, yeah. Okay, for sure. <laughs> Um, what do you feel your, your piece says about healing, love, and moving forward from trauma? Yeah, I think it's important to look at our past in order to address the future. Um, I am starting up a new project to in dedication to my ancestors, which I hope to turn into a photography project one day. But right now, it's going to be an illustration project. It's called Sugarcane and Saris. Um, and basically, it's to highlight the women on the plantations, the Indian indentured laborers on the plantations and, you know, like their history, the abuse that they face from colonialism and patriarchy. So I think, and the purpose, I'm, the reason why I'm doing that is because I believe that in order to address the patriarchal violence that's happening today, um, there's a lot of violence against women that happens in Trinidad. So I think in order for us to address that, we need to look at our past and look at what happened on the plantations because it's a pretty recent history. I'm only a fourth generation Trinidadian, so um, like my aunt, like you know, indentured labor, indentured labor systems. It it was only about two hundred years ago, so I think it's important to like look at that history in order to address address intergenerational trauma and to heal from that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what does your artwork say about the society and culture that we live in today? I think that it speaks heavily to the patriarchy that Indian women still face, and women in general. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure there are women around the world who can relate to Sita's story and to re to relate to her pain and to relate to her emotions that are not depicted in the story itself. But you know, it does. It is depicted in my art. Um, so yeah, I think like I also did a drawing of Drapodi, who's another um another heroine from a story and from a story in Indian mythology and you know, I had a lot of Indian women messaging me and saying that it's great that I told her story because they thought it was major in injustice and you know, like people need to look at these stories and look at the people that they're uplifting and they're idolizing. Yeah, for sure. That's super important. How might your interpretation of your art as a creator be different from someone who is viewing your work for the first time? For example, someone who's familiar with race and gender inequality, someone who's unfamiliar with race and gender inequality, or maybe if a child viewed your artwork. Yeah, that's a really good question. Something I definitely think about when I post and create art because, you know, I speak a lot for my culture and my identity and you know, like a lot of these Indian words and Indian um, terminology, they aren't um, as understandable to someone who is not Indian. Um, so it could get really confusing for sure. And like, it took me a while to write that story for about Sita and to like really, you know, make people understand why I'm creating it. So 
yeah, I think I think there's definitely how I I don't even know how to put this into words, but yeah, I think there's definitely barriers there in in terms of like getting people to understand. But it's something I definitely think it took, like I put into consideration and I think about because I want my art to reach broader audiences and to reach women around the world because these are issues that all women of all cultures have to face with, not just Indian women. Why is it important to create art that reflects your communities and who you are as a person? Uh, I think it's important for BIPOC artists to create art that reflects their communities because um, our voices are always, it's always hushed. Um, And I think like because of assimilation, like we're expected to, you know, be like, I'm an immigrant. I wasn't born in Canada. Um, so I think like we're always expected to, you know, like adapt to this fake Canadian identity. So it's empowering to talk about your own culture and to like wear your culture on your sleeves. Um, so I think it's really important for people of color who are not Canadian or don't identify fully as being Canadian, I guess. Um, or who, I guess it's different for people who are born here. I wasn't born here. So, um, yeah, I think it's just a, a healthy way of dealing with forced, like, colonialism and assimilation. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel that being an artist is respected in today's society? Nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sorry to put it so bluntly, but uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. I think... I don't think we do. We live in a capitalistic society that suppresses creativity and artistic expression and freedom. And that's colonialism. And that's what capitalism wants. It wants you to, that's why artists don't get paid very well. You know, like artists aren't respected in today's society because it's capitalism. For sure. Uh, I know you sort of touched on this before, but if you want to talk more about it, uh, do you feel that there are different standards for being an artist of color? Totally. I think being an artist is somewhat associated as being a white hippie. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry, this is going to sound very blunt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, at least in Victoria, for sure, and in most places in Canada, which is weird, like that free spiritedness that comes from being an artist, like it's associated with being a hippie. And I personally don't appreciate hippies. I find them to be super oppressive, <laughs> probably because they take a lot of my culture and try to make it their own. Oh, like cultural appropriation in a way? It, totally. Oh. Like, I just, yeah, it, I, I don't appreciate hippies. And I am sorry if this is offensive to any hippies listening to this right now. But I think BIPOC women generally have to work harder in everything we do in order to be seen, not just in the art, not just in the arts. And yeah like hippies and like that free-spirited nature that that like white people are just better off at being artists because they can financially support themselves you know and anyway now I'm just hating on hippies so I'm gonna stop answering this question so (laughs) I mean um well next question I have is what barriers need to be addressed for artists of color to thrive in today's society if you want to talk more about cultural appropriation like please go ahead yeah, totally. That's definitely a barrier that needs to be addressed. Um, yeah, like white artists taking our culture and making it into art and selling it back to people, you know, selling it back to us. That's definitely a barrier that needs to be addressed. People rather buy it from a white person than they would a brown person, you know. 
Um, like even for me, I've seen people make art from like Trinidad that are white. Like they make like moko jumbies and like all kinds of stuff from my country and they sell it back to people. And, you know, if it was a Trinidadian person making that, like, no, like people wouldn't buy it from them as much. So it's just hard for people of color to to thrive in as an artist and it pays so badly. Like it's really a privilege to be a paid artist and it's something only available to white people or people who are well off, like I mentioned before and black indigenous and POC people can't afford to live with such low wages. And I think that needs to be addressed first and foremost. And I think society as a whole also needs to decolonize and understand the value of art because people think that they could skimp on paying artists and they see it as not a worthy investment when really prior to colonialism and capitalism, our ancestors were making art all the time and they were singing songs and making music. So yeah, like society just needs to decolonize. Yeah, for sure. And it, I always find it weird how people don't value art when like, especially in COVID, all people have been doing is like, since we have to stay at home for safety reasons, all people have been doing is, you know, binging on Netflix or, you know, uh, reading books. Like, all we've been doing is absorbing art. But for some reason, that doesn't translate into art being valued. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It's annoying. Like, I feel, I totally feel that, like, most people would not be able to survive staying at home if there was just no artwork. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's it's really annoying. It's, yeah, needs to be addressed. Sure. (laughs) Oh <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, again, feel free to add anything because I feel like you've sort of answered this question. But mm-hmm. uh, do you believe that your personal and/or cultural values and beliefs influenced your artwork? All of my art is based on my culture and my values. Um, yeah, like it. Like I mentioned before, it's a healing thing for me. I don't call myself a professional people have been approaching me to talk about my art and to you know make art so yeah it's really is a decol the it's a art and like a process of decolonization for me and connecting back to my roots so all of my work is based on that Mm -hmm. um so the next question i have is uh do you believe that a creator's artwork is an extension of themselves like could someone look at your artwork and feel like they have connected with you and your values? Yes, I 100% think so. Yeah. Okay, for sure. And yeah, I mean, that's really something I can't really speak to. I mean, I would have to hear from other people to see what they say. But from the people that have been commenting on my work and and like talking to me, they have told me that they feel empowered and they feel connected to you know my culture and and to what I'm what I represent so yeah okay uh next question I have is how has being a person of color influenced your decision to do art yeah um I know that I have a deep history a deep spirituality a deep culture and many deep and thought-provoking stories to share Um, You know, I live in a unique world being Indo-Caribbean. I have this Indian identity, but I also have this Caribbean identity, which is heavily shaped by Black, Indian, Spanish, Indigenous, and other cultures. And that in itself is art. You know, like my existence itself is art. And 
it's beautiful and I have a lot to share. Um, so again, for this next question, I feel like you touched on it, but if you want to add anything else, that'd be awesome. Is uh, what is the most empowering thing for you being an artist of color? Uh, yeah, the most empowering thing after I overcome the assimilation and getting over my embarrassment of holding that Indian identity is just empowerment. You just feel so free and it's empowering to break free of that colonial mindset, you know, and to embrace your ancestry in all its colorful forms. Like colonialism sucked. Like my ancestors were totally degraded by, by the British. And, but at the same time too, there's a lot of beauty, you know, like I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for, I hate saying it, but I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for like, you know, my ancestors and, and everything that's happened. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't know a lot of these stories from my country, Trinidad, influenced by by Black people. And yeah, it's empowering to hold so many different identities. For sure. Um, so where do you see your art career going in the future? Uh, that's a good question. I don't really know. <laughs> I don't have any goals. I just kind of create. And whenever I see a contest or an opportunity, I just enter it, just like I did with this podcast. Um, so who knows whenever the next opportunity comes, um, in the meantime, I'm happy with just creating, you know, like I, I am, I'm working on another piece right now and I'm working on a documentary. So yeah, I just kind of take opportunities as they come to me. I don't, I don't look for it. It just, it just comes. For sure. Um, so the last question I have for you is what advice would you give to the next generations of artists of color? Yeah, I'd say look into your history because there's so many stories to be told there. Look into your culture, look into your spirituality. What are your values? I think by doing this, you'll find out what you want the purpose of your art to be. And yeah, it's just really important to look into your own ancestry. And so much of that is, as BIPOC people is taken away from us. So for sure, through assimilation as immigrants here. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that was the last question I had for you. I want to uh, thank you for your time and your wonderful insight into how it is being an artist of color and how it is, you know, fighting patriarchy and fighting injustice through your art. So I want to thank you for uh, spending the time with me and uh, answering these questions. Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. This episode has been brought to you by the Students of Color Collective in partnership with CFUV. This podcast was produced by Melanie Lum with the support of Funa Robusoye and Neha Saxena.